Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the Empire of the Cock podcast and we have got one hell of an episode lined up mainly because we get to talk about all the ridiculous nature of course of Trent Alexander-Arnold's England omission plus plenty more transfer news Brighton because you know the domestic football it feels like we've been waiting months uh, for domestic football here, here we are here, we've got to Steve Carson and Peter Kenny jones helping me today I'll be Farrell Keeling your host today and forevermore um, but right Straight into straight into the whole England situation. I know it's a topic that Liverpool fans, understandably, don't really want to discuss for obvious reasons. Um, but of course, we have to because it concerns one of our players, and it concerns arguably England's most creative player. And I'm of course talking about number sixty-six, Trent Alexander-Arnold. See, what are your thoughts on this? I think Klopp kind of approached it quite diplomatically uh, in the press conference. Um, he sort of warned the uh, when the journalists sort of asking about the situation, look, you know, this isn't going to benefit England's World Cup campaign, if I'm absolutely honest about it. He says, well, create headlines if you want to, uh, but you probably don't want me to. Um, I, I think it's very clear where he stands on his star fullback. But what do we make about the situation? Because it benefits Liverpool if he doesn't play, but you're talking about a player of his calibre not being able to show his talents on the international stage. Yeah, I mean, selfishly, it's great news for us because, you know, Trent gets a bit of a break, which is certainly he's not experienced a great deal over the last few years. But, um, you know, Trent, regardless of, you know, your opinions on, like, um, you know, the whole English, non-English type type arguments, um, you know, Trent's going to want to play for the country, you know, uh, He's going to want to play on the international stage, like you say, at the World Cup and things like this. It's 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 what players dream of. So of course he's going to want to turn out for England, and he'll, he'll be heartbroken by you know him being dropped because there's not anything more he can do. Like you know, there's, there's questions over you know his, his defensive game, and we we know we watch him every single week, and we know his defensive game is pretty strong. Like he, he has a he has a little few mistakes, and then all of a sudden. People are clamming down on him, saying, "Oh, no, you know, he's a defensive liability, and Reese James is is a, a better defensive player." And you know, Reese James is a world class fullback, um, just like Trent Alexander Arnold, and even uh, Kieran Trippier as well. Another another really good defender, another really good attacking fullback. But you know, there's definitely uh, it, it comes down to tactic, tactics. It's not really the way that England plays to have that. You know, um, sort of attack and fullback that that, they, that that Liverpool have, but you know you can't leave a player like Trent out. Um, and if you've got a player like Trent, maybe you sort of adapt your style to suit him because he's one of not, not just one of the most creative players in England's team, but you know, arguably the best player in the team. I mean, you can look to the likes of Harry Kane as well, and you could make arguments for him. And of course, you know, world class striker, but. Trent is arguably the best player in that team. So you would, in effect, make it work. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you need your fullback to be an old-fashioned Gary Neville type. Maybe adapt football. Maybe England might win a trophy if, um, you know, Southgate takes a look at his, uh, his own game plan and goes, you know what, right, actually, we do need to adapt. Maybe change some things around. Look at Trent. Look what he's doing at Liverpool. Look what Klopp's managed to get out of him. Unbelievable footballer. Should be playing at the top at the top level. Uh, no questions asked. Um, he should be there, uh, and he's not. And to be honest, it's it's a bit of a disgrace. But like I said at the beginning of, of my response, you know, it's selfishly it's good for us because he gets the rest. But you know, Trent's not exactly going to be sitting off happy with the time off. He'd rather be, 
you know, playing at the top level for, for England. I mean, you'd almost be inclined to argue it's almost a waste of his time because he was brought in to the squad, but then wasn't even included in the matchday squad to face uh, Germany in the six-goal uh, thriller draw. Um, so you'd argue that his time would be better spent um, in Merseyside at the training ground or at least just getting proper rest, you know, because you're looking at sort of the fixture schedule ahead just in October alone, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But nine games um, in that month, nine games in 29 days, um, you need as many of your top players back either in training or getting a full rest in ahead of what is going to be a hectic schedule. I mean, I mean, Pete, it, it, it's a bit drastic, I'll admit, but does Trent need to sort of seriously consider, as some have suggested, uh, to abandon sort of his England career, at least temporarily, um, until another manager, whenever that happens, if it happens, comes in, it sort of looks at Trent and goes, actually, but you know what, I, I, I value you as a player and I value you more than my predecessor did. Well, it's an interesting point to put forward. I think with, no, there's been a lot of stuff circling, hasn't there? And I think we saw, I, I saw, sorry, on, uh, on social media, Southgate voted for Trent in the UEFA team of the year at right back over all the players he's now picking in front of him. I think that shows that Southgate doesn't hold us obviously a very, very good player in Trent Alexander-Arnold and <clears throat> that doesn't make him a master tactician to spot him that. But it shows his flaws as a manager that he can't fit the player that he obviously thinks is the best right-back in European football and he can't put him in his team. I think obviously he says it enough that he doesn't trust him defensively maybe. I think you know, Klopp touched on that today where he said... He is a good defender. I don't know why people say he isn't, but he can get better. I think that's probably the, the best description of it, you know, because you don't get in the Liverpool side if you can't defend as part of that back four. And the clean sheets he's kept and et cetera, he's obviously a good defender. But I think at the same time, all of us would say, yeah, he can get better. But that's that's what you want from a player, really. Obviously, we know how good he is going forward. But Southgate obviously think that's a bit of a liability going backwards. I think in terms of should he sack his England career off? I think, obviously, that's not something I would advise him to do. I think, you know, we we all know as most Liverpool fans and probably most of them from the city of Liverpool aren't the, the biggest England fans going. But I think when you're in the position that he was in and, and Gerrard was in, etc., you want to be in that team because, you know, it's another team to go and, to go and dominate. And I think we, you see with players like Jamie Carragher, Robbie Fowler, who don't get into the side, but and it it puts them off England a bit. But you saw with Carragher as well in 2010 World Cup, he, he come out of retirement to go and play in it because the World Cup is the pinnacle probably of of a player's career. And you know it's it's interesting to see what what, what Trent will do. But I think this this whole media outpour shows that everyone knows Southgate's wrong. Trent should be in the side. He'll pick him for the World Cup, and he probably won't play him because he he doesn't know how to fit him into a team. And I said I think that's the frailties of, of, of Southgate as a manager. But, you know, Trent should go to Qatar. He's just waiting out for Southgate to get the inevitable sack when I don't think England are going to do amazing at a World Cup. And the next manager, hopefully they've got a bit more talent that they can put, as we say, probably the, the best passer of the ball in English football, possibly the best that we've seen since Beckham, you probably say is what, is what Trent is. And, you know, if you're a good enough manager, as I say, you find a way into a team. So Trent's just going to bide his time, probably laugh at all these reports saying that he should be playing because it proves that he's right and give it one year, two years, five years, whatever. I think he'll be in that England side you know, with a proper manager in charge. I think we have to remember, 
you know, the player's age. We're talking 23 years of age and Trent Alexander has already won everything he can possibly win in club football at Liverpool Football Club. Um, and, and, you know, arguably on his day is the leading uh, right back, perhaps fullback in, in world football. You, you you could make a pretty convincing case on that um, off the back of the last so a few seasons he's enjoyed under Jurgen Klopp, perhaps not on his current form, um, but again, he's reasonably so, a victim of his own sort of very high standards. Um, but I, I think we can all agree that the future remains very, very bright for Trent Alexander-Arnold. However, one Liverpool star whose future has a few question marks over it is that, of course, of Gideon International Nabi Keita. Um, another player who's pretty phenomenal on his day, and I think you'd have to argue his, his last season when Liverpool came so, oh so close to a quadruple Hall of Silverware was arguably his best season to date in the famous red shirt. Um, but there's been a lot of speculation, as there always is, over Liverpool players and their futures and his ongoing contract saga. He still hasn't agreed fresh turns. Steve, his contract expires next summer. It's a very familiar story, I think. You know, one perhaps would hope to sort of avoid having to discuss again, but um, at least it's it, we're talking about Nabi Kaitu, not Mohamed Salah. Um, there have been a lot of sort of speculations I've just mentioned in terms of his future and what Liverpool could do to him. Klopp is, of course, a fan. Liverpool want to keep hold of him and there are reportedly discussions ongoing uh, as regard to extending his future beyond 2023. Um, interestingly, there was a, a report that came out from Germany in Build um, suggesting that uh, Dortmund were very interested uh, in Kaiser and nabbing him on a free if possible and then as of course is the nature with speculation speculation forms off the of speculation and some have suggested that potentially Liverpool could use Naby Keita as a, a make weight um, to get a better deal with Dortmund out of uh, Jude Bellingham of course I think there have been suggestions that Liverpool could potentially uh, drop his asking price by 20 to 30 uh, million pounds which you know when we're talking about I believe the Athletic reported um, quite recently 131.6 million pounds being the asking price uh, 30 to 20 million off of that is, is quite significant um, just wanted to get you a sense of where your thoughts are on this because we know Klopp will want to keep Keita. Um, personally, I, I think I'd rather keep Keita. But then, you know, if you throw in, well, you could get a better deal and, and as close to a guarantee of getting uh, Bellingham ahead of the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Europe's top elite. That, I imagine, would complicate matters somewhat for our recruitment team. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> There's quite a few uh, question marks over a few a number of factors there. It's like a game of chess, but um, yeah, if if but the first if is if Liverpool can actually get a new contract sorted with Kater, because there's no doubt that that is going to be the priority in this hypothetical swap deal that's been talked up. Um, if we can get Naby to stay for a bit longer, um, ideal, because uh, as you say, on his day, phenomenal footballer. Uh, obviously, he's had troubles with injuries. They seem to be, you know, better than they were in this first couple of years at the club. But obviously, he's still not having the best of times. He's, you know, he's struggling to string games together to actually, you know, really stick into the team. Um, something we're seeing at the minute as well, of course. Um, but yeah, if we can keep him for, you know, getting down on a new deal, then great. But it's a familiar story. We've heard it over the last few years. You know, Gini Vinaldum, apparently the club were negotiating up with him until very, very late. But the club is seemingly quite rigid in what it offers. So, 
you know, for better or worse. So I, I imagine that the deal for Naby is probably not as lucrative or as, um, you know, as um, loyal as perhaps he was. He, he might be expecting uh, after a number of years at the club. Um, obviously, his injury record is different now from when he first joined the club. So there might be, you know, the club trying to get some reassurances one way or another, you know, in the form of bonuses. But that's just all speculation. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes at the end of the day. But that's the first big if. And then the second one is obviously, are uh, Dortmund interested in uh, in Keita? And if it's a yes, then that's a great bargaining chip for Liverpool right there. You know, if Dortmund can effectively replace Bellingham uh, mind you, we do have to think about that injury record. Uh, they might also see that and go, oh, we can't really rely on this player to play week in, week out, like, you know, perhaps they do with Bellingham. But, you know, if potentially it helps them fill a gap, then it's a great bargaining chip for Liverpool. But it's just more ifs. You know, the the thing that really we, we need to look at is, is anyone interested in Keita? Can we get him signed down on a long-term deal? If he wants to leave the club, then we've got to get rid uh, if he wants to extend his contract on the terms that the club's offering, keep him first and foremost because he's our midfielder. He's used to the system. He's worked on the clock. He knows the team. So that's the first thing. But yeah, it'd be a great bargaining chip for Bellingham. But, you know, if Liverpool want Bellingham, they're going to have to spend big and knocking £20 million off the massive, you know, asking price that's been reported by the Athletic isn't really going to be too much of a dent. You know, the club's still going to need to spend huge to, you know, shell out for what is, you know, basically going to become the the best central midfielder the world has got in the next few years. I mean, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? Because, I mean, a lot has been made of the asking price as it stands. And you look, you look at sort of where Liverpool are with the transfers. I think, you know, you'd be prepared to pay the fee. But then if you're thinking, well, you could go on and have a, superb World Cup campaign. I mean, he was vital for England in the three-all draw with Germany. And you think, good World Cup campaign, that that fee could easily go up by another 20, 30 or so million. And then you're looking at forking out over £160 million pounds, uh, for a midfielder, which is an insane amount of money. But we are talking about an equally uh, insanely good footballer who could very well safeguard Liverpool's midfield for at least at least the next 10 years or so. Um so there's value in doing that. I think, you know, you divide it by 10, you're spending, what, 16 million a year. Um, theoretically, obviously, it doesn't work out quite that way for, for Liverpool. But is it sort of worth gambling on Kaito? Or, or do you think Klopp will be sort of more inclined to go, no, I, I want to keep this player? Because it, it could backfire horribly for Liverpool. You know, as, as Steve's rightly pointed out, Dortmund might look at his injury record uh, and, and decide halfway through negotiations that it's not actually worth it, um, at which point then you've basically told a player you don't want him um, and it's not helped you out in your pursuit of another player. So gamble or play it safe? Well, I think with, with Naby, you know, obviously you, you put two and two together, don't you? You see, you know, Dortmund are interested in Keita. We're supposed to be interested in Bellingham. So you think, oh, well, it all makes sense that, that these two deals would go together. But I don't understand how much of a bargaining chip someone was... Yeah, we'll get to January, he's got six months on his deal. How much money are we really going to knock off this 130, 160, 150 million pounds? You know, it, it's hard to see what, not in a bad way to cater because you know, I, I do really like him, but I think it's hard to see what Dortmund would get, get from all just by getting cater six months before he can probably just sign him on a free transfer. You know, we haven't seen many other teams linked with him. 
he's definitely going to have a, a long list of suitors and he's going to have some decent teams after them. But I think Dortmund would have as good a chance as anyone, regardless of going for Jude Bellingham. And, you know, it's wh- whether they want to pay big fees or whatever. But we, we know that it looks like, no matter what happens with us, Jude Bellingham's going to be probably leaving Dortmund next summer. So they're going to be looking for a midfielder. If they can get Naby Keita on a free, then I don't see why he wouldn't be interested in that, you know, Keita, and why the club wouldn't be. If you can get it sorted in, in January, and obviously you can off, you know, get rid of five, ten mil, but as you say, you don't know how good he's going to be in the World Cup, and we saw with the likes of El Juf that if you have a good World Cup, it can, it can drastically change your price tag and how much you are actually worth. So, so it's probably the worst time we can possibly try and buy a player when not only is it a World Cup year, but it's a World Cup in the middle of the year, so we've got two more transfer windows if we want to sign him. And both of them are probably going to see an inflated price because of what he possibly does for England. I think even if he has a terrible World Cup, people will just blame himself, Keith, and he's still got to go for over 100 mil, isn't he? So, yeah, I'd, Naby Keith is a strange one. I think if you ask most fans, they'd be happy, or maybe not happy, but wouldn't be too unhappy to see him leave the club. And it seems like Klopp and the rest of his coaches, whatever, want to keep him. So we're in a strange position where next summer you could lose Keita, Oxley, Chamberlain, Milner, and then FSG with a lot of money to spend to replace a whole midfield. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. I don't think anything's going to get done in January. It's going to roll on and roll on next summer. And, you know, it's only September, it's October tomorrow, or whatever, however the months work. But we've got a, we've got a long time until we're going to bring in the midfielder that we're going to sign. And I just think Naby Keita won't have too much part to play in the final negotiations for whether we get Bellingham or whoever the midfielder is that we end up signing. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I blame the international break for all the, the confusion around the time. <laughs> I, I, I can't even remember a longer international break than that. I feel like it's been going on uh, for months. I, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, champing at the bit for some domestic action. Um, and, and speaking, of course, of, of domestic action, Liverpool will be returning to Premier League action uh, on October the 1st tomorrow. Three o'clock, Brighton and Hove Albion will visit Anfield, but there'll be managerless, well, managerless, Manager with of Graham Potter, of course, they've got a Dazabi coming in. So it's it's, it's buggering us all. Um, so this is still going to be a very good Brighton side, and Dazabi is arriving with some pretty good sort of credentials um, of his own. Um, what what are we feeling about sort of this this month of fixtures, Steve? Because it includes two blockbuster uh, domestic fixtures with Manchester City and current league leaders. Arsenal, I think as, as things currently stand, we're nine points behind Arsenal, but obviously we've got a game in hand. So win against Brighton cuts the deficit down to six. You've then got two huge games sandwiched between uh, Champions League fixtures with um, Ajax and Rangers, Rangers twice, I believe, in, uh, in, in this month. So it, it's going to be a far from easy sort of month of football for Liverpool. But you look at sort of the names that were welcoming back, you know, Jordan Henderson obviously made the cameo for England against Germany and he's, he was in team training today. Um, Canate was back, Calvin Ramsey sort of on the way, Kevin Kelleher. Um, suddenly Liverpool's midfield woes don't look quite so serious. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good time for us to be getting these players back. You know, as you say, we've got a, a ludicrous number of fixtures to, to contain with over the next uh, 
the next month, some huge ones as well. Like you say, Rangers, uh, Hummel away, and then Man City, Arsenal. Uh, you know, Arsenal at the minute, the way they're playing, it might as well be another game against Man City. And uh, that's that's not a joke. They're playing unbelievable this season. So it's going to be, you know, big test. But, you know, the first hurdle, you know, you've got to win all these games uh, if you're going to compete at the the very top. And hopefully we, we're sitting here in a month and we're celebrating a, a good number of victories and some, you know, good memories from these games, especially in Europe. But, yeah, the first hurdle is uh, is Brighton. Um, that's, a, that's a very good team as well, like Arsenal, the sort of maybe overperforming at the minute, but, you know, at the end of the day, you don't get to the top of the table by mistake. Uh, obviously, they're, you know, in the mix at the top of the table. Um, so, to see Brighton where they are is, is is very impressive and it's testament to what Potter's built at the club. But, you know, they're bringing in the Zerbi and there's going to be that, you know, new manager bounce, which, you know, seems to happen quite often against us, uh, or maybe it just seems to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a tough one. Good team, you know, good manager. I'm sure the manager will come in and excite the players. So it's going to it's going to be difficult. And, you know, we've got to keep an eye on the likes of Trossard as well. You know, these sorts of impressive technical players. It's going to be a difficult game for us. Uh, the, you know, difficult first hurdle uh, in, ahead of such a difficult month left. But, you know, um, having that midfield options back, like you say, and having Ibu back and some of the young players as well, like Ramsey. You know, it's just interesting to have these different options that we can kind of bleed into the team. So, yeah, it's going to be, you know, as I say, a big test this month and the first one. Brighton is not exactly going to be an easy feat, although it is at Anfield. So, hopefully, you know, we're sitting here in a week's time talking about a win, but it ain't going to be easy. Um, but, you know, it should be a good game of football. It'll be a great game of football for the neutral, I'm sure. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm I'm backing us to get a result at Anfield. I think the the break's probably been good for the players. You know, break from club football, of course, the players have been in action. But I think it would be good for them to mix it up with the the players that they have done over the break, and you know, take a bit of time away from you know sort of the calamity that was sort of looking like our season. But I think they're going to come back into it, and you know, to use your phrase, there, final chomping at the bit, and the players are going to come back in and really want to get stuck in and turn over Brighton and just you know send out a message to the Premier League, which you know we can say what you want about Brighton, but this season they're playing some great football, so to turn them over to Anfield confidently would be a huge result for Liverpool. No, absolutely, Un- unquestionably, unquestionably, uh, and, and a perfect way to sort of kick up this, kick off this heavy month of football. I mean, Pete, we've got nine games in twenty nine days. Twenty nine days. I should, I should emphasise that because the bright, the um, actually no, beg your pardon, the Leeds game was pushed back a day. Um, so nine games in twenty nine days, which equates to roughly one every three days, if my uh, maths is is on the money. There, um, it, I mean, it's absolutely insane. I mean, I mean, it's it's one of those where we have we we can't complain too much because, I mean, I certainly was absolutely relieved to a degree when we looked at those sort of two prior meetings with Chelsea and Wolves and they were postponed. Liverpool got more time to work on the training ground to welcome back injured stars and not risk further injuries. Um, And now you look at the midfield. I mean, we've got Henderson, um, Thiago, Fabinho all available. Then you look at sort of the the backup options, uh, Carvalho, Elliot, um, Artemelo, who we still haven't seen start a game, let alone register anything beyond 13 minutes, uh, which was, of course, in the 4-1 defeat in in Naples. So, I mean, it's really looking impressive right now. And obviously, we're still waiting on the likes of Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain. But Liverpool have options, and not only have options, have genuinely good options beyond the expected starting three. Um, what, what, what are you sort of expecting from this period? Because you think there's going to be a fair bit of rotation 
Um, I, I, I presume Artemelo will definitely see more minutes than at the 13 he witnessed in Naples. Uh, we could potentially be seeing a, a debut for Calvin Ramsey. Um, who, who of course, we, you know, was, was sadly hit with an injury during his, his medical, it was discovered. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on there? A lot, a lot of rotation or do, you, or do you think Klopp will sort of stick with his best team and cr- try and sort of ride, ride the wave of momentum? Yeah, which question first? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so obviously, I think... We look at this month ahead, and for us as fans who've just had that long international break, it's exciting to think that you're probably not going to go more than four days without seeing Liverpool play. But when you think back to watching Napoli and some of the performances before, maybe it's it's also a bit worrying to think we're going to be playing every four days. But I think to have so many players back, obviously, it's a massive boost. You saw the the update the Klopp gives today. I think the only slight worry is that I know it's precautionary all of them, but you know Diaz. Nunes and Joss at all not training. So it worries you a bit about what happens at Brighton. But as you said there, we've got so many options in the squad. We should be okay for this month, knocking on a lot of wood. But um, yeah, I think it's just, it's one of them where I think the month, if you took it any other time, we'd be worried saying there's far too much football. But I think the fact the World Cup comes just after, you know, the players just know you've got to get your head down. We've got to get through this. We've got a lot of... Um, as Daniel Bedenfield once said, um, but we've got to get you know just get as many points on the board and, and just and just see where we get at the end of it. And a lot of them have got a World Cup trip, and a, a lot of them unfortunately don't, or probably fortunately for us. But they know that they've just basically it's got to be a manic month. They're all going to work together. But, you know, you can't ask more than playing City and Arsenal to go right. You know, we had a bad start to the season, but we go and beat both of them. We're one hundred percent back in the mix. It's it's going to be a strange one. It can go really well or really badly. I think we're going to end, we're going to come into November and be in a a lot more assurance of where, probably where the season's going to take us. I think at the moment we've still all got thoughts in the back of our heads. We can challenge City and we can get ourselves right back into the race. But at the same time, there are some worries that we go. No, will we get top four or we should get top four? But that might be our ultimate aim. And, and we've got, I think we'll probably by the start of November we'll have a much better idea. You know, we want Nunes to ever run a games. We want him to get a few goals, get his confidence up. That midfield's massive. And, you know, as you say, to have Hendo back, to have Thiago back with no international football for Thiago as well. Fabinho hopefully had a little bit of a break. He didn't play too many minutes for Brazil, although obviously it's a lot of travelling. Arthur, you know, he could be the story of the season. You know, from nowhere playing in the under-21s to possibly having a good run in the side. Calvin Ramsey could challenge Trent, could bring the best out of him. Could prove vital for us. Simicas, Robbo, you know, Kanate, Matip, Gomez, Van Dijk all competing with each other. On paper, it could all go so right. And I think, you know, as the eternal optimist, as I, I like to build myself, we can end this month with plenty of points. Jürgen Klopp's side seem to do a lot better as when we have a game every four days and we, we get that momentum going. So I'd say, fingers crossed, we can end this month in the mix at the top of the table flying through our Champions League group, ready for the World Cup to start and knowing that, again, as you said before, we're all chomping at the bit for the new year and we're right in the mix for, for every trophy. Absolutely, absolutely. And the starting, of course, tomorrow um, with the welcoming of Brighton and Hove Albion at Anfield. What's your scoreline? <sighs> it's that new manager bounce. You can never really tell, can you? Um 
we do well to keep a clean sheet. I've got the I've got faith in the defenders and, and the goalkeeper, of course. But you know the way we've been performing, you, yeah, it'd be a bit rich to say that we're going to keep a clean sheet. But I suspect Pete might anyway. But um, I'm going to go for a four-two win for Liverpool. I reckon the players are going to come out going for it. I mean, Pete, yeah. you've got to top that, haven't you? You're the beacon of positivity here. So what we're we saying, five, six. <laughs> Well, I think the, the, we always <laughs> we, we always say that, like, well, we mentioned then the new manager bounce, but that normally comes off the back of a team doing bad. So I think you know, the mm. players, if you're a Brighton player, you're not going to be delighted to see that Graham Potter's left. And I'll put it out there, I have literally no idea who this bloke is who's going to be standing opposite Klopp tomorrow. But we can assume he'll be half decent, and obviously he's at the international break, and Again, I assume that Brighton haven't had a whole squad of players playing around the world. But, you know, I think it should probably give it the edge because I'd be more fearful of a Graham Potter, Brighton coming, than, again, the, the, the name of the man who's obviously clocked tomorrow. But um, I think, yeah, it's just about what strike force we have. That's what I was saying. I was worried about you know, precautionary people not training. That Luis Diaz is massive and, and stuff like that. But... Yeah, I'll just be optimistic because it's easier for me to say that. And I don't really like doing predictions. That's why I always go big. So I'll just say Steve's results, but we won't concede because Allison's in good form. So I'll say 4 0. If Nunes is starting, he gets a hat trick. If Salah's starting, he gets the hat trick. And if Diaz is the only one, then he gets the hat trick instead. And then um, Tiago with a worldie, 4 0. Hop end. Oof. What a week. And wow. we're all in the pub. Fantastic. <laughs> what are you saying, Fran? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I mean, it's, it's interesting with Dezevi because um, I think as far as I understand it, they've brought him with someone with a similar profile to Graham Potter um, and, and knowing Brighton's recruitment system, which is absolutely world class, um, I think we can safely guarantee he's, he's probably going to be a good addition. Um, but, you know, remains to be seen, you know, the first game certainly shouldn't be too indicative of how the rest of their season will, will pan out. Um, I, I, I reckon... We won't keep a clean sheet, too, to be honest. <laughs> but I think, oh, don't give me that look, Pete. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will, yeah, I think we'll win. Uh, I think we'll win relatively comfortably. I'll, I'll call it a 3 1 um, scoreline. Um, and yeah, drinks on me at the pub. First time for everything. Oh, well, you know. Um, but yeah, no, well, there you have it. There you have it. A first win after the international break. A um, bit of a debate there as to whether Liverpool will keep a clean sheet. We'll be hoping for some big, big performances uh, from Liverpool's returning stars. And of course, be interested to see how our midfield shapes up now that Jordan Henderson is back training with the squad. A very exciting month of football ahead for Liverpool Football Club uh, before we then break up yet again uh, for the World Cup. Um, we'll be here to cover absolutely every match, of course, and you can catch every reaction to the matches as of when they come in the Empire of the Cup podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts online and also on our Substack. It's been a pleasure talking with you both. We've had Peter Kenny-Jones, Steve Carson, and I've been your host, Farrell Keeling. Whether you're watching this, take care.